Hey, this is Nikki McCrary, lead pastor at Eastern Heights Baptist Church in Statesboro, Georgia, where we exist to be a life-changing church. So as you listen, I pray that you will be encouraged in your walk with Christ and that your life will be forever changed as you grow in your relationship with Him. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Good. That was a much better response. Y'all were getting better. We've been practicing maybe at home, I don't know, or whatever. Hey, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, find Luke 18. We're going to get there in just a moment. But first of all, as most of you know, the majority of our community will be going back to school starting tomorrow, right? And that means it's going to make for a very hectic week for a lot of folks around here. And our teachers and administrators and others have already gone back last week and have been preparing and getting ready to make a difference in young people's lives. And so I want to have a special prayer for you this morning. So if, if you're a teacher, an administrator, if you're one in uh, our public school system in any capacity, uh, you know, administrative assistant, uh, if you're at Georgia Southern, if you're at the Technical College or any other of our schools of higher learning, and you make the electricity happen, and you make the audiovisual stuff come on, and you make the water run and the toilets flush, whatever you might do in any capacity with our education system in any way, I want you to stand up, if you would, please, because and remain standing, and I want to pray for you this morning, okay? Because I want you to realize, and I think you do, or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing, you're in a position to make a difference in somebody's life every single day and I am so grateful for Christian people in our educational system that do make those kind of differences so let me pray for you this morning father I lift up these people who are standing in whatever capacity they may serve in our educational system here I also lift up those that are not here today and are involved with it and I lift up our entire educational system all across the great United States. And I pray, Father, as school is beginning in many places, that, Father, you would anoint these people with your grace that they might be able to make that difference. Lord, that people, their students, uh, no matter how young, no matter how old, those that are young adults fixing to go out into life, uh, that, Father, that they would see Jesus in every single one of these people that are standing right now. And that you would use their life and their vocation, Father, to further your kingdom and to be life-changing for somebody, even though they may not know it, even though they may not hear about it ever, or they may get that crazy email one day or that crazy text that says, thank you for what you did for me years ago. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Pray that you have a great week for most of you starting back tomorrow. Some of you be a little later on. Well, you know, um, it's going to be a crazy week, and it's going to be hectic for a lot of folks, and there will be either new routines established this coming week because of all of this, or there'll be routines that'll be restarted again and reestablished, and one of those things that I hope will be part of that routine is regular church attendance. Now, I realize I'm talking to you, and you are here today, right? So I'm really not talking to you, but I am going to ask you to think about those who you haven't seen maybe even all summer or for quite a few weeks. And so God could use you 
just to put out that word of encouragement. Hey, we're starting kind of a new school year. Let's get started back in church. Come join us. We're having a great time, okay? And because August is so hectic, we're going to start a new series that I've entitled The Dash. The Dash, okay? But it's not just about being in a hurry. It's about talking about something that we usually don't talk about when life is very hectic, and that is the brevity of life. I think it's going to be a great, great series. I hope you'll be here, and I hope you'll invite somebody to join with us. You know, it's so easy to hear expressions like, everything happens for a reason. God won't give you more than you can handle. God has a plan for your life. You shouldn't judge others, and you have to forgive and forget. And while we have kind of examined some of these, and we thought about these being correct interpretations of the Scripture, what we've discovered over these last few weeks is a lot of these well-intentioned quotes or Scripture passages, they're actually misquoted Scriptures and have been twisted out of context. And so to end our series, Misquoted, I have saved the most common and the most misquoted scripture in the Bible, and by far the most dangerous, because it has to do with our eternity and our salvation. And here's what it is. Most people think that the Bible teaches that being good is good enough, right? Being good is good enough. Apparently the most popular defense in the minds of people is that when they stand before God one day, they need to be able to give clear evidence that they have basically been a good person. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Right? And you find this kind of thinking everywhere you go. Several years ago, uh, when I was just getting started out in ministry, and I'll tell you how many years ago this was, but I went to uh, an evangelism training session called Evangelism Explosion, or EE for short. How many of you ever heard of that? All right, we might do it again, all right? But it's where you memorize a model presentation in which to share the gospel of Jesus with someone uh, so that they can accept Christ at the end of that presentation. And so we had gone to this presentation that took place in Birmingham, Alabama. Of course, that's, you know, that's where I was raised. That's where I was at the time. Like I said, I was just getting started out. And we were in the district that was near the medical place called UAB, or University of Alabama, Birmingham. They're known worldwide for their level of doctors and their level of research, not because they're part of the University of Alabama, but because of what they do from a medical standpoint. Well, on this particular night, we had gone to an apartment complex in that area to witness, and it was me, a young guy at that time, and then an older couple who were married, because so, they want you to have two men and a woman, or two women and a man and young and all, that way you can just talk to anybody that you come across. Well, we knocked on the door of one of these apartments, and a young couple answered the door, and they invited us in to visit with them. That right there tells you how long ago it was, Right? All right, because I was a young man, I guess they felt kind of comfortable because the other couple was older, they, they felt good they invited us in. So I began the presentation with these two exploratory questions that they train you to ask in order to find out what their spiritual um, status is, okay? And so I asked them the first question. I said, have you come to the place in your life that if you were to die tonight, that you know for certain that you would go to heaven? Right? And Christians will almost always answer this question with some form of yes. 
Because I've asked Jesus into my heart, or yes, you know, I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. Uh, I've ha I have a relationship with Jesus, Some, something along that line. Now, most other people will answer the question with, you know, I'm not sure, I, I'm not certain about it, you know, I hope so, you know, because, in, again, their mindset is being good is good enough, and so hopefully my good is going to outweigh my bad on that day. And so then I asked them that second exploratory question. I said, if you were standing before God right now at heaven's gate, what, what would you have to say for God? Why do you think God would let you into heaven? And so they immediately began to explain about how they were both doctors at UAB. And that even though they were young, they had been involved with cancer research for some time. And that because of their work, they had actually found some things that were known to be cures for some types of cancers. And so they explained without any batting of the eyelids at all that because they had done so much good for the world through their cancer research, that is why God would let them into heaven. In other words, their thinking about getting into heaven was find something good to do and then do it because being good is good enough. The problem with that, though, is the Bible never says that anywhere. It's a gross misquotation of the Bible, and it's certainly a dangerous one that the devil would love to sell you and for you to buy into because it kind of makes sense in our human minds, right? But matter of fact, what the Bible says is that be good theology is no good theology. If you're taking notes, write that down in your bulletin. Be good theology is no good theology. It sounds good. It feels good. It makes sense because it allows each person to set their own bar as to how spiritual you have to be in order to be good enough, right? I mean, how many times have we heard somebody say, you know, I'm spiritual I'm just not religious, right? What they're saying is, I figured out how to live by my own standard of morality, okay? I've come up with my own standard of convictions that I'm willing to live by, and so I, I just, I'm going to go through the cafeteria line, and I'm going to pick out, and I'm going to choose all the moralities and all the standards and convictions that I'm going to want to live by, and then I'm going to create my own designer faith and then I'm going to be spiritual with it. Because after all, being good is good enough. So that's what I'm going to be. And here's both the appeal and the danger of this thinking, is that most religions out there bring an element of merit to this thinking, including Christianity. It's just the way our minds kind of think. There was a book written back in 2005 by two sociologists, and they came up with this theory or whatever you want to call it called moralistic therapeutic deism. How many of you ever heard of that? Our youth pastor, of course. <laughs> well, number one, he's young. Number two, he went to Bible school. So you ought to have heard it. But I'm going to tell you the truth about me. I missed that day of class. I'd never heard of this in my life. All right? Uh, so I began to kind of research it a little bit. But another reason why Dylan might know about it is because what these two sociologists did is they surveyed thousands of teenagers, all right? Thousands of teenagers to come up with this idea, all right? 
And they surveyed teenagers who were Christians. They surveyed teenagers who had other faith belief systems, okay, like Hinduism, Buddhism, all kinds of the isms and everything else. And then they also surveyed several thousand teenagers who had no religious basis of belief or belief system whatsoever. And they took all of that together, and what they found out is it didn't matter. It didn't matter because they all basically believed the same thing. You know what that was? That you should try to be a good person. I mean, we're taught that from the time we're born, right? Be a good person. And so I wanted to go through these five things that they came up with this, with this moralistic therapeutic deism real quick because they have a lot in common with Christianity as well. And that's why a lot of Christians responded the way that they did is basically you just need to be a good person. First thing they come up with is that God exists and made the world. Well, that kind of makes sense. There's a God out there and that's why we're here. All right. Second thing they came up with is God wants people to be good. The only thing is you get to pick what that's going to be. All right. The third thing is the main goal of life is to be happy. All right. But the problem with that, again, is it makes it all about you. And it makes it all about me instead of him. Number four, God isn't too involved unless you need a problem solved. That is, basically God minds his own business, but there's going to come a point sometime in your life where you're going to need to throw up a prayer for some help. And when you do, God will be there to help you out. Sounds good, doesn't it? The fifth thing that they came up with, and here it is, good people go to heaven, which implies that bad people don't. And so this is what happens, not only to teenagers, but to adults as well. When we come to church and we tell people what they ought to do with their lives instead of telling them what Jesus has already done, and then you just need to follow him, follow Jesus. It's dangerous. But see, basically all religions are teaching the same thing. That is, how to build stairs to get to God. Now the stairs, they're going to vary from religion to religion, but they basically have all the same rules. You know, read a lot of this, do a lot of this, don't do too much of that, and you will build the stairs that are good enough to get to God. It makes sense, doesn't it, in our minds? It also makes sense that nobody here, if you're honest, believes that you can attain moral perfection. Right? But that's okay. Because we all know that God grades on the curve. And good is good enough. But you won't find this in the Bible. Matter of fact, when you read the Bible, you discover that Jesus had a total disregard for be good theology. He tells us about it with one story, first of all, in Luke 18, where these two guys go to the temple to pray. And the first guy is called a Pharisee, and he, he's a good guy. He is religious. He reminds God how good he is. He said, I fast, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income to the temple. I mean, I'm a good guy. And you know what? He was telling the truth. He was a good guy. Now, the second guy, he's the bad guy. He's called a tax collector, which for us, that really doesn't mean that much because we all pay taxes, and we know that if we don't pay taxes, we're going to get a nasty gram, okay? And eventually we've got to pay up. But it just doesn't carry the same weight because let me reframe for you what the people heard 
who were standing there when Jesus was giving this discussion about the good guy and the bad guy and what they heard when they heard about the person called a tax collector. In reality, what this guy was was a terrorist fundraiser. Now, does that compute with you a little better? That's what he was. He would go around and he would collect money from the general population to fund the brutal and sadistic acts of the Roman government who were reigning over these people, who were paying these taxes. And so in essence, every time you gave them your money for taxes, you were paying in advance for punishment that was going to come your way one day. And so they hated these guys with a passion. And that's why they were considered to be a bad person. So you got a good guy, the Pharisee, and you got a bad guy, the tax collector. And all this tax collector could say was, you know what, I got nothing. I got nothing to stand on here. I am a bad guy. Y'all pray for me. I just need some grace. Okay? And then what Jesus said blew everybody standing their way. He said, a terrorist fundraiser went home justified before God. But good guy didn't. Now, how is that possible? How can someone who is so bad be closer to God than someone who is so good? That just doesn't compute in our brains, does it? Didn't them either. And so Jesus would have to explain over and over and over again that my goodness, my goodness is actually my greatest barrier to God. You're taking notes, write that down. My goodness is my greatest barrier to God. You see, the appeal of religion is that we're able to measure our goodness based on external metrics. That is, we can look at somebody and go, you know what? I'm better than they are, so I'm a good person. I don't do many bad things to them, so I'm a good person. And we get to measure how good good is. And so they make themselves better by comparing themselves to someone worse. We do it all the time. But God makes it very clear that our standard for measuring goodness, according to Him, is that you and I aren't that measure. We can't look around at each other. The only measure for goodness in God's eyes is God Himself. That makes sense? So just a few verses later, we come upon another story in Luke 18, verse 18. It says, once a religious leader, again, this is a good guy. He's a religious leader. He's a good guy. All right? We also know from Scripture that he is young and that he's rich. And see, back then, everybody believed that if you were wealthy, that was a sign that God had shown favor on you. All right? So not only did this guy think he was a good guy, but everybody else thought God thought he was a good guy or else he wouldn't be rich. So this religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher. See, he likes that phrase too, right? Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Because he believed like everybody else believed. Being good is good enough. So what good thing that I haven't already been doing or have done do I need to do in order to go to heaven? And then Jesus rocks his world with his answer in verse 19. He said, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. See, this guy's thinking like everybody else in the world that one day that you're going to stand before God. And when you do, there's going to be this balance scale there, right? Like you see in the courthouse, or the figure of, or whatever it is, inscription. And 
That when you stand before God one day and you got that balance scale, you're going to have to put all of your bad things on one end of that scale because you know what? We've all made some mistakes, right? We've had a few blunders. We had a few poor choices we made along the way. Nobody's perfect. None of us are going to actually make moral perfection here, you know. So we've got some bad things. We've got to lay those on the scale. But then what we're hoping is that when we lay all of our good stuff that we've done on the scale, all those great things that we tried to do along our life, that this good part is going to far outweigh the bad stuff, right? That's just kind of how most people think. Because after all, when you look around, there's a whole lot more bad people out there than you, right? The problem with this thinking, though, is Romans 3.10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one of you. And that's what Jesus is trying to get this good guy to realize is, stop comparing yourself to everybody around you and start comparing yourself to God. And then Jesus tells him what he's got to do if he really wants to be good. And so he says, I need you to take all your money. I need you to give it to the poor. I need you to quit doing what you've been doing to accumulate all of your wealth. And I need you to follow me and become my disciple. And so all of a sudden, good guy realizes he really don't want to be that good. Right? He says, you know what? Just forget about it. You know? I'll just keep doing my own kind of being good. Because that's just too much. So when you boil it all down, we recognize today that there's not much difference between the irreligious people and the religious people. Because both groups, deep down, many times just believe they don't need God. The irreligious person says, you know what? I'll live life by my rules. I'll do what I want. Doesn't matter anyway. I don't need God. You know what the religious person says? I'll pray this. I'll do this. I'll read this. I won't do too much of that. Because you know what? I don't need God either that much. And here's the sad part of all of it. You might want to brace up for this. The bad person realizes their situation before the good person does. You notice that? Talking to people? See, 99% of the time in witnessing to people, the irreligious person, they'll, be, they'll just straight up go, you know what, I know I'm living wrong. That's why I haven't got saved. I'm a bad person. I'm too bad for God to love me. I'm a bad person. They realize it. But you know what the occasional church girl will come up with? They will write you a book on all the excuses for living without God while all the same time proclaiming Jesus as their Lord. That's what they'll do. They don't even realize. Jesus said it this way. He might want to brace up again. He said, tax collectors and prostitutes, they will enter the kingdom of heaven before good people get into heaven. Wow. Wow. That doesn't compute at all, does it? Well, he said it in Matthew 21, verse 31, if you don't believe it. 
And he says the reason why tax collectors and prostitutes are going to go into heaven before good people do is because it is your goodness that is your greatest barrier to God. Imagine how the disciples felt. They had been taught all of their life that being good was good enough. And then all of a sudden, the greatest guy, the best guy they'd ever known, all of a sudden he said he wasn't good enough for the kingdom. And so they asked the only question anybody with any kind of brain would ask in Luke 18, verse 26. They said, those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? If good people can't be saved, who can be? And so Jesus replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. So here's the rifle shot at today's message. I want you to write it down. Salvation is not a merit. It is a miracle. Salvation is not a merit that you can earn or do enough good stuff for. It's just a miracle. And to prove it, I just want to ask you one simple question. If you could do enough good things on your own, do enough good merit stuff, do just enough you know, positive things, just make a positive difference in somebody's life, do enough good deeds, then why did Jesus have to come to this earth and die? Why? It was a waste. We already had the law of Moses that taught us how to build the stairs to get to God. So why did Jesus have to come to die? Well, I've already given you the answer. Because it's impossible for you to be good enough. Being good is not good enough. But God made it possible through Jesus. And that is the gospel message. That is the good news of Jesus. That is the difference between the good advice of all the other religions out there. Look at it in Ephesians 2.4. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins. Get it? You're dead. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And I want you to write these down because these are very important. And I want you to ponder on them for just a little bit, at least today. Now, ponder might be an Alabama word. I don't know. But it means think about it for a little bit. Okay? Here's the first one. Jesus didn't come to save good people. He came to save dead people. People who realize that without Jesus, they have no hope and that they can never be good enough. Now, the second thing, and maybe even more important, is this. Jesus didn't come to help people get better. He came for them to become a new creation and not just a revised version of their old self. Now, I'm going to let you park on that for just a second. Look at that. Jesus didn't come to help people just get better, live a better life, be happier. He came for them to become a new creation, a whole different person. And not just a revised version of their old self. But see, that's what way too many so-called Christians, that's where they've landed with their Christianity. They're trying to be a 2.0 version of something that was never a new creation to start with. You see, maybe they started doing some good things. Maybe they started quitting some bad things. Maybe they started coming to church or maybe even doing something with church. They were trying to be a better version of their old self. But that's not what it's about, folks, because being good is not good enough with God. You have to be born again. 
You have to be born again because you're not ever going to be good enough. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. And listen, I get where you're having trouble seeing this as a gift. You don't have to do anything to get it. It's already been done for you. All you got to do is receive it. I get that that's hard to believe. It just doesn't compute in our minds. I talk to so many Christians who struggle with this. So the next time Satan comes to destroy you with this doubt about your salvation, you just need to remind him that when God looks at you, he looks at you not according to your merits and your good deeds and all those other things that you have been doing, and you should do those, but that's not what he's looking at. He is looking at you through the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for you on the cross. That's what he's looking at, folks. You see, Jesus made it possible to be better than good. He made it possible for you to be perfectly right with God. And if you don't hear anything else today, look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through good stuff, through good deeds, through good actions, through good merits, for trying to be better, for being a 2.0 version. No, it says, so that you could be made right with God through Christ and Christ alone. That's why it says all that come to heaven are going to go through Jesus because he is the only answer. And so I think you know, everybody sitting here today and everybody watching online or listening to this podcast, I think deep down you know that you will never be good enough. You have seen enough of your own shortcomings. So the question is today, would you trust what Jesus has already done for you to be made right with God? You don't have to do anything else. You just have to accept what Jesus has done for you. Not only so you can be good enough, but so that you can be made perfectly right. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would there be one here today that would be honest enough to say, you know what, that's what I've been thinking. I've been thinking good is good enough. And so I've been trying to do better. I've made some improvements, but I keep finding myself missing something and I keep being empty. But I'm feeling something this morning that I've never felt before or maybe you felt it some other time and you just ignored it. But this morning you realize that you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need not just to become a better version of your old self but you need to become a new creation in Jesus Christ. So if that's you this morning and you would like to pray a prayer of salvation to accept Jesus right now, this morning, nobody's looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to slip your hand right up and right back down. I'm that person. I need to pray that prayer. I'm that person. Would you pray for me? Hands up and right back down. Nobody's looking. It's me and the Lord. All right, would there be that person here today that say, you know what? I have Jesus in my heart. I've asked him to come in to save me. I became that new creation, but you know what? I haven't been doing the things God wants me to do. There are other things out there that I have been ignoring 
God's Spirit about. And would you pray for me today that I would be the person who would give my all to Jesus as he gave his all for me. If that's you this morning, raise your hand up. It's right back down. It's a testimony of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you've seen these hands, and I pray, Father, that you would bless those who want to do more for the kingdom. Father, I pray that we would help people around us to understand that being good isn't good enough and that they need Jesus. And may they see Jesus in each one of us and may it become life-changing for those around us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this message today. If you would like more details on our church, please visit us at ehbcstatesboro.org.